Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remembered that old saying, power corrupts. Welcome to Second Officer Slog. I'm your host, M. With me is regular co-host, Jackson. Star Trek. Star Trek. It's episode 11. We're here. The premiere podcast about Fox's The Orville, the TV show you want to watch. Yes. Yes. Uh, last time on our discussions of Fox's The Orville, you said it was maybe the worst episode of Star Trek adjacent content ever produced by human hands and that you're never going to stop watching it. So what are you going to uh, update us with this week? What happened on The Orville? I have not watched The Orville. <laughs> yes! You're free! You did it! You're free! That you is not to say that I won't get bored and watch The Orville at some point, but instead I watched some anime that we talked about on our anime podcast. If you subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash mapping, for $1 you can get our Great Gundam Project, which I talked about an anime I watched that was not Gundam related. That's what I did instead of The Orville. That was smooth. That was not smooth. That was like a brick to the face, but it's what I've got. <laughs> yeah, no. Patreon.com slash abnormal mapping. Goddamn. Uh, no, you, you, the Orville, you fucking were like, oh, I'm going to introduce every Discovery episode with my Orville takes. It'll be funny. But then even you couldn't like muster up the enthusiasm to watch fuck Seth MacFarlane embarrass I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if you know this, Jackson, but uh, running this uh, podcast network, we're fucking busy. <laughs> we're really busy. Oh my God. I, we're so busy. And I'm like going, I'm I'm doing like a horror movie marathon with my partner for the lead up to Halloween. So we watch horror movies every weekend, which normally we just watch Star Trek. So we haven't even been watching that much Star Trek, but we're trying to get through DS9 and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot going on. Uh, but yeah, so it took two weeks and Orville has fallen down. I feel very happy. I, I didn't know if you would keep hurting yourself. I You could get back on it. Uh, my My brain says that you will, you need to see the Frakes episode. Yeah, no, I'll I, I'll probably crunch through them sometime when I have some extra time. I don't know when that'll be. Might not even be by next week, but I will eventually probably subject myself to that bullshit. Shake my head, but the thing that doesn't get skipped by any of us. Oh, it, it's ruining my life that there's Star Trek because I watch it at seven thirty, and it's over by eight thirty every Sunday night. But then I spend like four hours being excited about Star Trek afterwards. <laughs> yeah, this is my problem as well because here it's uh, uh, like it comes out on Netflix at nine in the morning, um, but I have to go to school at nine in the morning. But I'm on usually living on American schedule because that's where all my friends are. So I have about two hours sleep every Monday night and then I immediately wake up and either go to school or watch Star Trek. And it's just, and then I yell at you about it and it's ruining our Mondays and thus the rest of our weeks. <laughs> yep. Put it on a weekday, please, please. Also put it out in, a, in the UK at the same time as it comes out in America. There's no reason you can't do that. It's a streaming show. I mean, except that it'd be coming out at 2.30 in the morning. That's fine. Okay. It, it'd be 1.30 in the morning. Right, right, right. Sorry. I mean, one of us is about to have daylight savings time, and then it's going to be a weird hour for, like, two weeks. Yes. I, I like those two weeks. Well, hmm. I can't remember if this is going to be the one where... 
It's yeah, no, I never remember. I never so- remember. Sometimes it goes, well, whatever. Star Trek happened. We watched the episode four. The butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry of discovery. That is, I, I, I just said Star Trek, but it's Star Trek Discovery. We're talking about Discovery. Yes. As you uh, would have guessed. Memory Alpha does not have a summary, so I'm going off the top of my head on this one. My apologies in advance. But it does have trivia that notes this is the second longest Star Trek title. What is the longest? TOS episode, For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, which I'm going to bet is a season three episode. That is extremely yes, is. season three. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> the most season three. Uh, I'm excited to watch some season three TNG. It's a really bad show at that point. Or not uh, not TNG, uh, TOS. Uh, yeah, me too. Me too. But no, so it's just after two weeks of... Uh, after, after the first two episodes of just being a big pilot, and then basically a second pilot, now Star Trek's back. And what? Let's do a quick summary. Well, okay. So the Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry aired eighth of October, twenty seventeen. It is written by Jesse Alexander and Aaron Eli Colite. Col- Colite. Uh, it is directed by Olatunde Osunsanmi. Uh, this takes place in November of twenty fifty six. On this episode. The Discovery is investigating the mysterious tardigrade creature they picked up off the Glen. The Klingons, Takovma's ship, uh, led by Vok and Laurel, have been sitting in the debris field of the Battle of Binary Stars for six months, where everyone is starving and uh, Vok has created a crazy cult religion around uh, Takovma. There is a distress signal on a planet. I don't remember the planet's name. Do you? Uh, I do, but like I don't. Corvan Two, something Corv- like that's that. It. Yes, it's Corvan Two. It is the most Star Trek planet name possible. Uh, the Klingons are assaulting the Dilithium uh, mines. Dilithium mines. It's a, it's a it's a mining colony yes. that mines forty percent of the Federation's dilithium. Maybe don't put all your dilithium in one basket. Is what I'm saying. They were not ready for a war. Yeah, no. Uh, and no ships are nearby, so the Admiral demands that the Discovery use its mycelium tr- uh, teleportation drive to arrive at Corvan 2 and prevent them from destroying the mining facility. Which means they have to figure out how to make the jump, which they don't know how to do. And uh, as Burnham is investigating the Tardigrade, she realizes the Tardigrade is not hostile and actually is wants to interact with the mycelium and was being used by the Glen as it's like navigator through mycelium space, whatever you want to call it. And they hook it up to it and they are able to get to Corvan two and it's very dramatic and they beat up the Klingons. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Vok and Laurel go on to the ruin of the Shenzhou and pick up its dilithium something. Converter. converter some piece of processor. the warp core yes they, yes the, both ships are struggling from similar problems and have to do things um and they grab it but by the time they come back uh cole costs what's that guy's name do you remember i think it's cole yes uh cole the klingon with the red face paint who has been the most like aggro and against valk in the pilot has basically taken over his ship by providing food to all of his starving men and been like you were weak i am going to lead this new cloak ship into battle you can go fuck off and die on the shenzu and they abandon him but laurel transports over and is like i snuck out a ship we're gonna go to uh house 
I actually don't know. And I don't, I didn't write it down. My apologies. They're going to go to one of the houses of the Klingon empire, which is like the mysterious, like secret cult house. And she is going to have him learn all of the things of the universe, which is going to make him cool or something. She's like, we're going to take you to the matriarchs, but you must sacrifice. So you must make a sacrifice first. And he's like, Oh, what should I, what will I have to sacrifice? And she just goes, everything. <laughs> yep. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Burnham is dealing with tensions among the crew. Uh, Tilly, uh, loves her like a big sister slash mom. Saru continues to be wary of her. The security chief is like, you're not willing to do what it takes. And then immediately gets owned by the tardigrade rip security chief. And, um, she receives the last will and testament of Philippa Georgiou which the episode ends with her opening and getting a very sad message and the telescope that she was using to spot the Klingons in the pilot. The end. That's everything. Those are what's what happened in the show. It's, I love this episode. This episode's so good. Um, I know that there's been some takes online that the like general opinion of this episode is that it isn't as good as uh, the... Wait, really? Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> Because it, it's like because it's not as eventful, uh, it's kind of uneven and a bit clumsy in spots. Which they're right, it is a bit clumsy in spots. But it's also just it's full the most Star Trek, and it's going for these like huge earnest moments of, uh, like it has though this undercurrent of sadness with um the Giorgio will that pays off really nicely at the end. Um, it has you're the only ship in x and you have to do a thing to save y uh, so it's nicely justified because they have a magic teleport <laughs> the, my favorite thing about that is that in multiple star trek movies uh the enterprise the kirk's enterprise is has to be the one to come to earth to save earth from a threat because they're the only ship near earth which makes zero sense in any reality that there are no ships around Earth and they have to call in our heroes from deep space to protect Earth. They do. That does happen. They are on Earth. Uh, well, they're on like uh, that that planet after. Well, I don't remember where they are in four because it's not Vulcan, or is it actually? Oh, yeah, no, it's Vulcan. Vulcan. That okay, one so makes that one makes sense because every other ship has been deactivated as the thing approaches. Oh, right, right, but yes. when when Veacher's around, that is just them. Like you're the only Earth ship in the solar system, and it's like, what are you talking about? I have not watched the uh, original series movie since 2012. Yeah, no, that's fair. But no, I'll, I'll fill it in. It's bad. It's always dumb. This only makes sense because they have the magical probability drive transport ship that takes them wherever they need to go. Uh, I get. I don't know where we're going to start with just reactions because I'm all over the place because I basically love this whole episode. Um, on that point, the scene in which they are uh, given instructions of okay, there's there's a there's been a distress call from Corvin two, uh, and you get the peak Star Trek scene of one camera on a tiny set with a, like a couple boxes with people with dirty faces going oh we're not gonna make it we're not gonna make it and cutting out which is in this hologram uh world of how like the computer is designed and everything they can still have peak star trek scenes like that uh and also that scene begins with Lorca eating and the admiral giving him shit for it <laughs> So Lorca's like, the interesting thing is like Lorca's like has this very like, I'm eating like squid and there's just tentacles on my plate and I'm dipping it in butter and watching this distress signal. And I love, 
one of the best parts of modern TV is you get a bunch of like ridiculous overwrought like symbolism. And he's basically eating the same meal that the Klingons are eating when uh, Cole comes aboard and has like a whole banquet of like all the Klingon foods for the crew to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, those two things just mirroring each other in a show where the plots very much mirror each other, where both ships are like, how do we go? It's very hard to go. Um, to, uh, quote the pack leads from, uh, TNG. Yes, it is hard to go. <laughs> it's hard to go. Um, uh, that stuff is great. Also, we are introduced in this episode to Lorca running a battle simulation where he is standing on the bridge, like oh. very emphatically pointing at everyone and pointing at the screen. Be like, shoot those Klingons, raise those shields, go this way, turn here, this degree. And uh, his crew, because they're a bunch of scientists, have no idea how to win this battle and do very poorly. But he, him just being like, I mentioned last episode, like Lorca's at a standing desk and that's kind of weird, but he is constantly just on the go, standing up, ready to like rush into a room, get a thing done and leave. Like he, he addresses the crew in sick bay after addressing one of his injured crewmen. He doesn't even go to like a computer. He's just, I got to do this right now, right here. He, Lorca's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're talking about how like, oh, he's obviously evil and everyone knows he's evil and there's tension there and how getting that out of the way early means that they have to just treat him like that and go from there and like do things with it and they immediately do and it's great and i love seeing him just standing in front of the view screen not giving a shit about where his chair is i don't even he has i think he has one i think there is a there is a chair uh on that bridge because sarah was sitting in it yep uh, but he like, doesn't he has never sat in that chair he doesn't give a shit no, he stands up front, like, next to Helm and Khan, like, where no one would ever think to stand because it blocks everyone else's view, but he don't give a fuck. It's, it's the least Star Trek thing as... So, a thing that... My main reaction to this episode and the whole show so far is that they've basically pulled off what should be an impossible magic trick in what this show is, of filling a cast... Uh, or filling the ship with what is essentially Star Trek characters and subverting it with the fact that it's just a ridiculous warship. Except you haven't had the seasons of Star Trek that are implied by that pilot. You haven't had Giorgio and uh, Burnham's adventures. You just have to like pretend that it's been there and they have managed to like make that <laughs> fill that space in with one episode of like backfill at the start and make you believe this weird tension in the universe as the Federation goes to war. Uh, I mean, they've also basically given you uh, Captain Jellicoe's Enterprise. Like, they, for real. Yes, no, they have done that. And, like, but the characters that here are just uh, Star Trek characters being placed onto this hell ship. Like, we both talked last week about how um, uh, Stamets is just the the surly scientist guy who has his research stolen from him in an episode except he happens to be on the crew and everyone's basically that but for a different character and in this episode he literally is like i'm leaving i'm taking my research your drive your ship none of this works without me and he's like you think you own all of that that's starfleet property get the hell off my ship if you want but it, your mushrooms are staying here and it's just he is immediately owned in exactly the way that we it's, thought he was going to be owned. <laughs> yeah it's that but it's not even like Lorca plays it so well. Jason Isaacs is killing it because he's not even mad at him. He's like, I guess you could do that, but I don't care. Shut up. You're nothing. Yeah. yeah, no, he is. He is utilitarian in like the most dangerous way. And that he's he he is probably like 
the show will depict him as evil. We talk about him as evil, but he is not evil in like the sense of he wants to do evil things. He is just wants to get the war over in as fast and efficient a way as possible, which makes him evil as fuck. He's super evil, but I love how he is characterized as like, he's not angry. He has never done anything that is anything other than just the most efficient kind of workman-like i'm gonna get this done i don't give a shit i'm gonna stand at the front of the bridge so everyone pays the fuck attention jesus christ shoot those klingons yep whereas everyone else uh outside of the security chief rip security chief uh landry (laughs) yes uh everyone else is very much like well we know that the captain's like that but we're just we're just starfleet like you know we we do the right thing because we care Uh, and and so uh, Burnham's like fits really well into this dynamic. So Burnham's whole story this episode is, um, Lorca assigns. Well, f- first off, <laughs> she is given her costume, her uh, uniform, which is I didn't realize how unsettling it is to see a Star Trek uniform without the badge. Yeah, it's really weird, and I, it's used to good effect. Yeah. <laughs> like the episode begins with a universe shot of like oh it's magical nebulas and stars and we're pulling through a thing and it's just the uh, replicator generating the uniform. Yep, it's very unnecessary in the most modern Star Trek way. <laughs> yeah, this is a streaming show; they can do that. <laughs> uh, yep, and uh, then she's in uniform, and yeah, she's assigned to the secret war room, which I guess is not secret because everyone knows about it. <laughs> I mean, it's not a secret room. It's just well, the sure, room. But in in the in the way it was depicted at the end of the last episode, it's like, oh, he's got this room where there's just this tardigrade and there's a bunch of stuff in here, like a Gorn skeleton. Like, is this his secret like lab? No, it's just on the ship. Everyone knows where it is. Everyone visits it in the course of this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's portrayed less as he's keeping secrets and more just he has this shitty room that everyone doesn't like. <laughs> yeah, because there's just a, like all of the weird weapons of the universe are stocked there. Because why this, we- Including the tardigrade that she has to turn into a weapon. That's her task. Yeah, because why would you keep it a secret when everyone just hates it anyway? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so her, basically her uh, like whole story this episode is trying to walk the line between she is, unlike the rest of the crew, she is not like naive about how Starfleet works, but she basically, after giving that, like, I am the Federation, this is my, like, I will always be a cap, uh, first officer, that is my, like, my defining core you can take my badge away from me blah 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 but you can't remove that part of me um and yeah in this episode there's a moment where she brings saru in to look at the creature but it's like false presenters to check if his um shit what are they called what are they called threat ganglia threat ganglia are going to react to the creature because she wants to know if it's um like actually dangerous and that's a better test and he's like wait you've just used me to check this thing under the pretense of apologizing to me you're you you a locker it's you and then walks out <laughs> i mean i i assumed her apology was genuine it was genuine but she also did that look Sometimes you gotta kill two birds with one stone, especially when you're in such a place of disadvantage as Burnham is on the ship. Sure, but I like how she is both the... She carries, like, the spirit of all these completely naive Starfleet scientists on this vessel and also understands how to work in a world that is run by Lorca. Uh, and she is, like, perfectly in the middle of that dynamic. I like it So the thing, the thing I was going to say is I actually read it the opposite of you, where everyone else is 
like already like they don't like Lorca or his methods, but they're on this ship and they're trying to win this war. So they're willing to do the stuff and not question it. And here she comes being like, no, we're going to understand the alien. And if it turns out that it's not a weapon, we're not going to assume that it's a weapon just because it murdered a bunch of people. Maybe it was in self-defense. Who can say it's a, it's a giant tartar with claws. Of course, if it touches you, you're going to die. That doesn't make it evil. Uh, and her like Starfleet, we have to understand the unknown ends up like being the course she takes and navigates through all this space, which is why she's like making friends with Tilly and, you know, uh, trying to apologize to Saru, even though Saru does not respond well to being used in that way because Saru lives on a hell ship. I don't think those two reads are incompatible. Like, no, I don't either. True. Yeah. Um, uh, I meant more as in she can actually... And immediately, even though everyone hates her and she's like got a reputation for being a mutineer, she immediately starts like questioning her orders and um, like trying to negotiate what her orders are because she has better ideas. Uh, and like n- everyone else knows it's evil, but they're not going to stand up to Lorca. They're not going to actually challenge anything. And she just it's, refuses to do anything else. It's almost as if she's a good first officer. <laughs> almost, yes, that's technically what a first officer is meant to do. <laughs> <laughs> That is that is a thing that only ever comes up in dramatically appropriate moments where the captain is about to leave the ship. <laughs> uh, do you know who isn't being a good first officer? A one commander, Saru. <laughs> oh, that poor, that poor man. He has no. He, Georgie was right, making him science officer. He's perfect there. Yeah, he has no business being second on a starship. Why is he in the command track? What happened here? Uh, I mean, I assume Lorca just pulled everyone who is interesting and had, like, specific talents into his ship. Oh, for sure. But it's a uh, who. And, like, the like the messier answer might be he wanted he wanted Burnham and he couldn't get her because she was in prison. So he got uh, Saru and then eventually found out a way to get Burnham. I mean, he definitely, like... Given how there's a couple of crew members from the, the Shenzhou on this ship, like I yep. would not be surprised if at some point that show goes into why he would do that. Yeah, uh, but given given Saru's problems so far, if Saru under realizes that his captain picked him because he was the only one around to be picked, that's going to be a real bad day for Saru. We, we said this last week, and it's only more true now that it is eventually Saru and uh, Lorca are going to have a real confrontation. And it's gonna go badly for him. But I like how um in the scene where they talked to the like Saru is completely like he's out of his depth, but he's he he is aware of this. Yeah. He knows exactly what's happening here. He doesn't have any illusions about what Lorca is doing and why Burnham's there. He he just doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah, no. And he has good reason not to like it. Yeah. Tilly, however, loves that Burnham's there. Because <gasps> Tilly and Burnham is the one true ship of 2017. Please launch it into space. It's, it's already best. been launched. It's done. Yeah. It's happening. It's on my feed. It's everywhere. She's going to be captain someday, you know. She's going to be a captain someday. <sighs> Look. I love that they've made this, like, she's clearly, like, the most out of her depth. She is the Wesley Crusher of this show. But she has a lot of, like, strength, and she's willing to countermand orders if it's necessary. Like, she's giving Burnham advice that is unasked, and Burnham is, like, in theory scary because she's, like, the only mutant in Starfleet, blah, blah, blah. But also, those two are going to be best friends. It's going to be great. And also, her mom doesn't like her beautiful hair. And it bugged me so much. I was like, oh, Ma Tilly, get punched in the face. I cannot believe you would besmirch such perfect hair yeah 
I looked again when it's up in that is a big bun behind her. So I guess it is her real hair. Well, yeah, no, it's all it's yeah. all real. It, it is. It is just ridiculous when she puts it down how much of it there is. <laughs> so much hair. It's amazing. There's so much hair. Uh, I like the fact that uh, Burnham and Tilly's quarters is clearly a key set on this show. Yep. Uh, almost always quarters are used in Star Trek as, oh, it's just the generic quarters that are replaced for X character. Um, which is it's fine. It works on the kind of shows that TNG uh, and DS9 and everything are. Uh, but the fact that this is a serialized show with a clear protagonist uh the, there is like a home base for that character a place where she sleeps a place where she talks to her best friend uh it it just makes it feels very starfleet and feels very true to what you've seen in the other shows but played from a different angle i, I love it it's one of my favorite things about how they've uh set up the dynamic of the discovery as a ship that feels real yep um and then uh, we're going to get into other stuff but uh we wanted to note uh this episode introduced the chief medical officer Hugh Colbert uh, who's in a very nice-looking sick bay, wearing the best uniform on the show. The white medical uniform is so fucking good. Uh, we are big fans of whenever there is a ridiculous white uniform in Star Trek. It's rare, yeah. but it's always good. Star Trek is maybe one of the only things that can get away with it, because a white uniform would be a disaster in real life. Anywhere that is not like a sterile starship, but it looks great in stars in space. Like, put Starfleet, or Starfleet in white uniforms. Yep, it's very good. Yep, he he spends his entire scene this episode dragging Paul Stamets. It's great. That poor poor plant boy. <laughs> yep. He loves his mushrooms. He wants to com- commune with his mushrooms. It's not fair. He wanted to commune with his mushrooms. <laughs> yep. 525,600 mushrooms. Oh. Get fucked. You can't just regurgitate your bad tweets on this podcast. <laughs> Fuck you, I can't. <laughs> what are you gonna do edit them out no <laughs> no i'm not there's no editing that happens to the show meanwhile so do you want do you want to talk about the the coolest thing in this episode do you want to talk about the klingons we'll talk about the klingons and then i want to go back to the the resolutions of the discovery plots because i got some takes okay so uh we get a lot more klingons this time they're still speaking klingon um i don't know if like it's interesting because they do like gaunt versions of Lorel and cole or uh, Lorel and valk this episode um because like they've been on a ship and they've not been eating uh i feel like the makeup plays a lot better when they're not just like standing stock still and giving grand speeches like those two in the shenzu like warp core taking that part is like a pretty good episode uh, scene laurel in particular has like a really good emotive face through the makeup that i like a lot um mm-hmm. like uh i mean even like I feel like i'm one of the most generous people i know in saying that the new klingon look is interesting and i don't love it but i'm willing to go with it uh if you if you absolutely hate it i don't blame you because i think it it's a bad choice and we'll maybe talk about that as the season goes on we see how things shake out but at least in this episode the klingons look better and are used better as characters than they were in the pilot also like when it's just that shot of uh a vox standing upside down on the shenzu bridge in his like ornate uh spacesuit that covers his face and stuff it's awesome <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it is. Um, I think I'm a little less uh, forgiving towards the Klingon redesign than you. Like, I'm really reticent about it. Like, it's not. Oh, like, look, 
this is me being my most generous. I yes. also think that it's like some bullshit. And depending on how this the season shakes out, and I want to wait and see before I just like throw mm-hmm. all of the like all of it under the bus. I think it implies a lot of maybe gross things about Star Trek and like race depictions, given yep. the yep. way Klingons have worked in the past. Um, but I'm gonna like we still got plenty of episodes left. I'm not just gonna say this is automatically the worst thing. Though yeah. I, if you do, I'm not gonna blame you. And I, I, I mostly kind of agree. I just want to see where it goes. Yeah, we have time to cover that ground if and when. But yep. uh, them, not just with the makeup, but also with the language. Uh, yep. I felt like the way the Klingon sounded in the pilot didn't didn't like sound in like Klingon did. It was well also like Takovma, who's the Klingon that speaks the most in the pilot, is like the most down pitched, trying to struggle through his makeup like character. Yeah, and and like the the dialogue is all delivered like very staccato, very ba 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 is how they deliver all their lines. And mm. in this, they like uh, Lorellan um, Vok have like a natural conversation or a more natural conversation. Um, that fits with how uh like that language should work more just on screen so i'm it proved that they have the range in the klingon storyline to do other things other than just standing on bridges and going you must agree to my house and you know uh yeah i'm glad they had some actual like more uh developed and intimate scenes with the klingons because they god they needed it also the amount that valk is just like being stranded on the ship turned everything to cover to come said in those pilots into like a weird a very shaky very dangerous sounding religion is a lot yeah because he was just like a guy who was um basically bringing up kales and being like okay we have to do what kales did like that's the thing we worship but mostly as an idea not as an actual god uh and now vok is just the most broken Okay, this person let me in to a culture that rejected me completely, and and I obviously love him entirely. And now he's gone, and now everyone hates me, and I can't even move my ship, and I've lost everything. Uh, oh god, ow. Yeah, but instead now everything is just the word of Takovma, or as Takovma said, and uh, you like the fanaticism of it is, is very dangerous. <laughs> it's it's gonna be a bad time for yep. Vogue. <laughs> uh meanwhile laurel is like the most pragmatic klingon of the cast i, I really like laurel yeah laurel's cool uh i'm excited i uh, i kind of suspect that laurel might be the interface character with starfleet when it gets to that point hmm. i mean like yes she is the one who at this point was the one who would like do that if it was the most pragmatic thing to do i think i mean vok is gonna have to go on a journey of vok's gonna be that character which it might be because vok's gonna go get weird like mystical monk training from some klingon ladies uh yeah i at the moment i think i mean their storyline is clearly going to revolve around okay the balance of power in the uh klingon houses has shifted to this guy with the red face paint who uh everyone hates um and how are we going to uh bring the like order of the houses into something that is not the worst i think that is going to end up superseding the war in their eyes and they're like gonna yep. my prediction is that the klingon plot will go oh wait this war is actually going to tear klingons apart and turn us into something we don't want to be we have to work with starfleet to end the war so we can save ourselves as like that is my guess that is my broad guess there are a lot of ways this can go but that's my take yep. so far but i mean also also Valk knows who michael burnham is and hates her now yeah. Oh, right. He didn't know before. He just saw their yeah. faces and like broke yep. the iPad. Yep. Also, they ate her. Uh, to be fair, they've been in adrift in space for six months. Okay, that's fair. 
But they they ate they ate Giorgio. They ate her. Yeah. No. Nope. Seems like a Klingon thing to do. Yeah, it does. I'm surprised there's not more eating people in uh, TNG. This gets into maybe the broader topics of how we talk about Klingons. Yeah, well, maybe maybe outside the scope of this. Maybe I want to complain about one point that if I was writing this show, I would 100% made the choice and they didn't make it. And I'm really mad about it. How are Vok and Lorel not running around in the beat up Shenzhou, like getting it through space, like driving this corpse ship of Federation? What do you mean they're not going to do that? She she literally says, I've got a whatever, some ship, we're going to go and we're going to take it to these people. Oh, right, like, she does say that. Yes. I w- so when he was left there, I was like, is this, is this what, is he just going to be in the Shenzhou? Is that what, how this is going to go? Because if that happened, I would have, I would have yelled. <laughs> like, but- maybe, maybe it's a little obvious. Maybe it's a little Wrath of Khan. But man, does that sound awesome to me. <laughs> just eventually it would would have become like discovery versus shenzhou but then the shenzhou would have just got owned in five seconds <laughs> yeah well i mean but then they could do the thing that they never had the guts to do in voyager and just like strap a bunch of klingon shit on it i haven't even watched voyager and i'm sad about voyager <laughs> <laughs> i know so that's it for the klingons really yes let's talk about the fucking saucer of the discovery spins. It spins. The saucer, and not only does it spin, the two saucer rings spin in opposite directions as the sport engines rev up, and then it like folds in on itself dimensionally and teleports across the universe. It's amazing. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Like the rings on that ship were very much like when they was announced. It's like, oh, that's a weird look. Like Federation ships don't look like that. Then the minute it starts spinning, it's the fucking coolest choice you could ever make. It was. The the moment both of us like posted at each other being like oh my god it spins yep. <laughs> it was crazy uh, it's great i love that everyone once they like turn back into normal space like grabs themselves like am i inside out no i am not inside out thank god yep. they give a little uh quick explanation as to why they went inside out which is they hit an anomaly of course they hit yep. an anomaly they're they always hit, hitting anomalies they hit a uh god um like hoxian it's like some scientist firewall is what it's described as yes no they hit a jargon term uh anomaly of some description and the problem with the jumps are you need to have enough computing power in order to avoid the like weird bits of the universe that you could just bump into uh yep and they use the tardigrade for that. My question is, and this will probably bring us into the thematic content of the episode. Did the Glen hit a firewall or did the tardigrade steer it into a firewall knowing it would be all right and the crew would be fucked? Uh, the tardigrade 100% steered it into a firewall. Um, because the actual thrust of the thematic content of this episode is Burnham realizing the tardigrade is one, not aggressive, and two, is like a living being with like s- awareness and feelings. And Star the way the Glen. The way the Glen and now the Discovery is using it is to strap it to a device that, like, basically, like, stabs it with needles and, like, picks its brain for spatial awareness uh, data that's inside of its, like, brain and then uses that to teleport across the galaxy. And it hurts the Tardigrade. The Tardigrade is sad and scared. And only Michael Burnham seems to know or care. I love the way the stuff with the Tardigrade, like, ends up working out. Mm -hmm. Because, like... You have the regular, okay, we have to understand it, we don't have to attack it, rip Landry, blah, blah, blah. Like, all that plot happens. But then the way after the jump, uh, the final jump happens and they save the day and, uh, like, um, uh, Lorca kills all the Klingons by 
stand having the ship do a full stop above the mining colony uh, oh um <laughs> One one note, just I thought it was a nice touch of these people who make the show care a lot about Star Trek. They don't have like expanded shields in the way that like TNG airships do. They are just like ablative armor shields, mm-hmm. which okay. is how what they have. What's what they have in Enterprise? Like they yeah. don't have like the n- traditional Star Trek shields yet. Yeah, no, polarize the whole plating. Yeah, because <laughs> even when the Klingons were attacking the shielded ship, it was clearly exploding, not in the shield effect that you get in TNG. Yeah, uh, but no. So he's he has the ship come to a full stop, and then as the Klingons attack and they like come in for the kill, they get close enough, and while the ships like uh, the shields are on like ten percent, uh, hits the hits the jump and leaves torpedoes behind that explode and just kill everything. Yep. And then every and then everyone comes out to like fire and ash falling and looks up and wonder like who saved us and nobody knows because it's that mysterious Star Trek ship the Discovery. It's but it's not like uh it's not just brim fire and ash or whatever. It's we have a soundstage of about four inches of dirt with a couple of people <laughs> running out. It is, it is definitely also that. It, that is the thing that hasn't really been present much because this show's got such a bigger budget and scope but suddenly they have to do like a colony and it's still star trek and it's amazing and i i was happy for that yeah. but anyway that all resolves and it's all very like oh heroic and hooray um but it's undercut by the fact that the uh uh you just get these long shots and these like short scenes of um uh michael just looking at the tardic raid in pain and it's never actually addressed they never you know bother to have a scene going oh no i think it might be sad which i'm so thankful for they just have it be a moment undercutting this and you know what is happening if you're paying attention which yep. not everyone on twitter was i've seen some takes like oh <laughs> is this show saying that animal abuse is okay no it's not it's saying no, it's, it's bad not. imagine watching a show and seeing the subtext and being like oh clearly it everything this show is about it's endorsing oh. But so I, I'm, I'm really happy that just let that be a quiet thing for you to infer of like, oh, this is really bad, and the thing they are doing to this creature is reprehensible. Uh, almost on, like, it's not as bad as cutting off its arms and making weapons out of it, but there's just something so much like more pained about keeping it in this uh, enclosed forever to do this one thing kind of bullshit. Yep. Especially after the really like beautiful scene of it running about the forest. Yeah. Um This might I know you don't watch the previews, this might be addressed next episode. <laughs> okay, good. Well obvious I mean obviously it's clearly yep. the hanging plot thread. Uh the interesting thing about the previews after this episode is the previews are like thirty seconds long and are clearly edited to just be full of lies about what the episode is about. <laughs> In a way that I find very delightful. I'm, I, you link me to the previews when I'm done. <laughs> yep. Uh, so what what do you think happens? Michael Burnham convinces everyone not to use the Tardigrade. Absolutely uh, the tar- not. The Tardigrade is murdered or something, whatever, in being used too often. Or do they find a way to make the Tardigrade understand them and then the Tardigrade becomes a crew member? Uh, no, they find a way to sedate the Tardigrade so that it doesn't know it's being used like this. I want the Tardigrade to be a crew member. I want I want Ensign Ripper. <laughs> like, yes, we all want that, but it's too early in the season for, like, the stuff. Maybe, I, can, I guess maybe they could get the Spore technology taken away, because it might be a lot for to have on them all the time. But I feel like this is going to be a battle that uh, Burnham loses. Yeah, who can say? 
but I, I want the tardigrade to be okay. It's a beautiful slime dog. I know. I know. It's so nice. It just wants to eat spores and love the fungus. <laughs> it wants to commune with the mushrooms. You know, it's not fair. I wanted to commune with the mushrooms. <laughs> it's still the best thing. And then the actual end of the episode is, uh, it got me uh, like tearing up because it was perfect. Uh, it is the uh, ridiculously justified, oh, here's a box that will never stop beeping until you open it, at which point it will play a video. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, of Giorgio's Last Will and Testament, which just, it's, oh, it's, it's, I'll let you take this one. Uh, what do you want me to take? Just describe, just the scene. So. Like, what does she say? I mean, I can just read you the quote if you want me to. I, I, I just meant this to be a nice, normal handoff, but sure. So what, basically what she says is, please remember that you're a Star Trek character. It's very important. Uh, and I, you were basically my daughter, which we've said has been the case. So I'm glad the show also knows what they're about. And then like her sign off is that she's, she's giving you an heirloom that's been handed down through her family for hundreds of years. But also the last line was take good care, but more importantly, take good care of those in your care. And then the, the message ends and it is what Michael Burnham has been doing, but now she has been charged to continue to do that in the best way possible. And inside is the obvious thing, which is the telescope uh, from the pilot. But it's a lot to have uh, George you there. It justifies a lot of the construction of these because like everyone was like, well, the pilot, if the pilot is just backstory, why didn't they just do flashbacks? But the idea that we saw George and she was just our captain for two hours before she ate it. And now we're seeing her again deliver that testament and what that means for Burnham also is a thing that we can share in is really important to what like the emotional center of the show uh yeah because the opening scene of the show uh well after the Klingon uh prologue is her being like oh you're ready for your own command and then in this um uh message she's like you're probably a captain of your own ship by now uh, yeah <laughs> she doesn't think that she's been like killed in battle it's like oh if I die this is what will be sent to you um, you know, and <laughs> it, it really drives home the idea that like Michael Burnham made a choice and the world she is living in is like a nightmare of what Star Trek's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like the, a lot of my complaints about the people who are like, this is very un Star Trek. It seems so dire and like dour and so interested in militarism. And I'm like, that's what the show is about. Like the show is about rejecting that. And it's really weird to see people not glom onto what that is actually about. Like Michael well, Burnham's living in a hellscape of war and being willing to do the things that are necessary for war because the show is about how much that is not the right answer. Yeah. And like, that's why I started this, uh, like my main reaction was how, pulling that off when they only had the first half of a pilot to establish like the the world of star trek beyond just oh star trek is a thing that we all know culturally like you had to establish giorgio as this basically avatar of proper star trek just this captain who is clearly trustworthy with a crew that she loves and everyone's friends uh and they had to do that very quickly and i'm shocked at how well it worked and i'm glad that she is like a presence still because i know she's gonna be in it more so i assume there'll be more flashbacks because uh i'm into that oh is she definitely gonna be in it more i Um, i didn't i who can say uh she made a thing like oh i'd love to come back but also apparently she is apparently might actually be in it more but i don't know if that was just referring to this episode who knows but Mm. it is possible there would be more flashbacks i wouldn't be surprised 
I mean, if this show gets to season three, you definitely get just a Shenzo episode, right? You gotta, you gotta have a Shenzo episode. It's the yeah. same sets. Yeah. I assume they didn't get rid of that. I mean, they, obviously they still use that bridge for that scene, so they have the bridge around. I assume they didn't get rid of it. It seems like a very expensive set to build. Yep. Just give me some Shenzo episodes. I think that's all we have today. That is it. That is it for today. So next time we have episode five, which I had the name of. It is called Choose Your Pain. And we'll be talking about that <laughs> next time. If you didn't if you didn't catch uh, the normal episode of Second Officer Slog that came out yesterday, please check that out. It's good. We talk about a book. We have a great time. We talk about some uh, TOS and TNG. It's, it's a good time for everybody. It's Some really of it good. might tie into Discovery in a weird way. Oh, it does. Yes, though. No. Uh, there is some Sarek stuff. Almost as if I know what I'm doing when I put this show together sometimes. I d- nah. <laughs> what are you talking? Nah. Nah. All right. That's it. Jackson, plugs, plugs, plugs. Oh, and you can make me do the plugs again. Every episode you do I, plugs. I know. I hate it. I am at Headfuls Off on Twitter. You can find our podcast at abnormalmapping.com. We have a bunch. As ever, the domains for the, like, if you want to get to them quickly, are uh, thebestgame.club for Abnormal Mapping, which is a game club podcast free of hot new release takes and news. If you just want talking about video games, it's chill. It's good. We do a very good show. Um, I also do the Amory score with Molly. Uh, that is at ineedmayo.com. We are looking at the awful comics and pretty good music of Coheed and Cambria. It's a very silly podcast. It's like the platonic ideal of what the opposite to this would be. Uh, <laughs> um, we also do the Great Gundam Project every week. That is a Patreon-exclusive podcast that you can get at patreon.com slash Mapping. We watch two episodes of Gundam a week. It's going to go on for a decade. It's going to be great. Gundam's good. If you like Star it will, Trek it will Discovery, not outlive this podcast, to be fair. No, it will not. This podcast is eternal. Yeah. Uh, and yes, so I think that that's the bulk of the plugs, right? That's it? Did I yeah. have anything? Yes. You said Patreon, right? Did you give I your did. Twitter handle? I gave, I gave it up the uh, top because you always remind me at the end, so I thought I'd do it ahead of time. Okay, I, I actually checked Twitter. Sorry, that's on me. So you can find me at em underscore being. Jackson gave the plugs. Come back next week. We'll be talking about the next episode. Discovery continues forever, and so do we. See you out there. Out there.